Welcome to a special Rosh Hashanah edition of The Pen and the Yad. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about the 80th anniversary of the rescue of Danish Jewry and its meaning for our day. Shana Tova. Happy New Shana Year. Tova. Looking forward to the new year? Always. It's always good to uh, be here for another one, and it's always a time of, of great reflection and community, too. It's always nice to see everybody out and um, you know gathered together for this holiday. What do you enjoy most about the holiday? Well, of course, your sermon. Yeah, <laughs> you knew you knew you were setting me up for that. You know, I think I first of all enjoy the the family dinner, um, and and we always invite some friends to come together. And of course, we always talk about the. You know, we it, it's a, an occasion to reflect on the year gone by and the year ahead, and and I, I do enjoy that. And I think also just the the fact that you know preparing for this event, preparing for to to be in in synagogue causes me to reflect more on what's to come and, um, you know, who I want to be. Right. It's dreaming and thinking and working towards a better version of ourselves and a better version of our country by addressing the past. I'm always struck by the fact that Rosh Hashanah is our most universal holiday. Every Jewish holiday has some connection to the past, has some connection to our past, whether it's Pesach, the going out from Egypt, Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, and on it goes. Every holiday has some sort of very key Jewish moment attached to it, with the exception of Rosh Hashanah, which is a day where we announce Hayom Harat Olam. Today, the world was created. Rosh Hashanah is the day that we celebrate the creation of the world, and therefore, it is a holiday that predates all other holidays, and it's all about people in general, the world itself. It is a universal day of celebration. And I think that's important. That's interesting. You know, when you, I never thought of it as being universal in the sense that it's, it's a little bit like the, the, the other New Year, the January 1st New Year, in that um, we, we all celebrate that. We all recognize the important turning of a calendar and uh, we renew our gym memberships or we start gym <laughs> memberships for the first time. Um, but this is different, as you said, because it's, you know, not just the marking of the, of the new year, 12-month cycle, but the creation of the world. I think that gives it a greater sort of moral impact. I have to do more than just go to the gym. Uh, that's very heartening, by the way. So thank you for that. <laughs> that's a great insight. I want to kind of turn our attention towards an anniversary that's going to take place this Rosh Hashanah. That is a celebration not of Jews, but a particular moment in Jewish history where the notion of chasidei umot olam, that is, uh, righteous Gentiles, the righteous amongst those the, of the nations of the world, rose up in Denmark to save the Jewish community. It's a remarkable story, but it's also a celebration of the best of humanity, not Jewish humanity, but the humanity that God has implanted in each of us. Uh, the year was uh, 1943. The Nazis had um, a treaty uh, with Denmark that they could keep their constitution for three years. And that meant that they could also then address the rights of their citizens 
And citizens in Denmark, or Jews in Denmark, were considered to be full citizens. And when the Nazis came in, the king of Denmark, King Christian, went to a synagogue. And that was a huge statement that the Jewish community were not other. They were part of the larger whole. But the Nazis, as you know, were not particularly good at keeping their treaties. And they didn't like the idea that the Jews were a protected or a protected citizenry in Denmark. And so they thought the best time to round Jews up and take them would be on Rosh Hashanah of 1943. And by the way, this was a very common practice of the Nazis to use the Jewish holiday cycle against the Jewish community, whether it was in Greece when they put up signs giving free matzah and then rounding Jewish children up and sending them to Auschwitz. This was the same basic idea in Denmark. They were simply going to round Jews up in their synagogues, in their homes. And there was a leak. Some Danish person got the word out to the Jewish community this was going to take place. And so the Jews left their homes largely with just maybe a bag or the clothes on their back. And they went and they began to move to the farmlands. They began to move toward the water. And here is the miraculous part of the story. Danish fishermen ferried at night, dodging uh, German patrol boats. They ferried 90%, 90%, 7,000 Danish Jews to Sweden, and they saved them. And so whereas 90% of the Jewish communities in Greece and in Poland, or over 90%, were destroyed, because of the Hasidei Umot HaOlam, because of these righteous Gentiles, a whole Jewish community was saved. And that happened on the most universal day on the Jewish calendar. That's an extraordinary story. And, I, and I'm embarrassed to say that I had not been aware of it. And I, I'm not sure how that slipped past me because we should be celebrating these uh, exceptions to the rule because, you know, as you noted, so many people, other, other communities were made to go along and did not find a way to resist. And I just wonder what was it that inspired the people to, to walk toward the water as if there was clearly no plan to, to, to marshal all these boats. How did the community spontaneously decide that we we're going to start this convoy and, and rescue people? It's a beautiful example of the human spirit. And, and the instinct for brotherhood and survival. But I'd love to learn more about how it happened and what forces made this the exception to the rule. I want to say, if you want to learn more, and this is a plug for the Illinois Holocaust Museum and Education Center in Skokie, they have an exhibit called Hour of Need, which celebrates all of these ideas of Danish Jewry. And I would highly recommend people, our listeners, to, uh, to visit. But I think on one level and this is me speculating from the things that I've read, that the Danish people were affronted by the Nazis. And I think a lot of people were affronted by the Nazis, but as long as they were safe, they were willing to turn the other way. I think what makes the Danes unique is that they felt on some level the identity of their country was being called into question. And if they don't respond, then they're going to lose their national character. 
What, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, it does. Although it doesn't tell me why the Danes felt that way and others didn't. That's why so many others didn't. That goes to the depth of the of the Nazi problem. Why did so many countries feel like they had no choice but to succumb and to cooperate? I'm not 100% sure that I have the right answer. But when Danes are interviewed and they are called heroes, they bristle at this. They respond and they say that this is, you know, this is the obvious thing that a person does for another person in need, especially a fellow citizen. And I think that the environment was different uh, in Denmark. But I also think that the king set an example. He raised up the people's understanding of the Jewish community. This is a really interesting issue. And I think about what's happening in our world and how we respond as Americans at a time like this, because we are divided. I wonder how we would respond in a time like this. God forbid a moment arose like this. So much of it comes down to leadership, as you say, because um, they respect or love their leader, they're more inclined to follow. And if the leader truly understands the people he's leading, then it should be easy for them to follow. And um, maybe it's just a question of the fact that they had, you know, leadership that was compassionate, that felt strongly that they had to be true to their ideals. And they recognized that the, the Jews were citizens. That was not the same in other places. In other places, the Jews were seen as other. I definitely think that that is part of, that has to be part of the equation. I want to come back to this idea of a national ethos, that something is larger than me. And you have leadership that's going to back that idea. I am part of something larger. I'm part, and, and I, as a citizen, I, as a member of this community, am responsible as a result of that. I'm lifted up by that, but I'm also obligated by that. I think that, that if you look at the uh, founding documents of this country, that's very much a part of it. But as anybody who reads the newspaper can tell you, we have drifted largely from that. And I think that national ethos that tells us that we stand for something beyond that, beyond our own needs in this moment, that goes a long way. National ethos is what helps us as a country when we're called upon in moments of emergency to come together for people to join and fight for our, the defense of our country. But there are also times when that ethos is in question where, you know, we don't always see the response that we'd like to think we would have. And this country's slow w willingness to accept what was happening um, in Germany and all over Europe as Hitler and the Nazis spread their power and the Holocaust was underway. You know, we were slow to respond in America. It's great to talk about ideally, but it's often when the rubber hits the road, we don't perform the way we, we would like to. I wonder if this conversation then takes us back to Rosh Hashanah. Because at the end of the day, we have um, a machsor. We have a liturgy. And the liturgy reminds us, the other theme of the holiday is that God is king. Hamelach Yoshev al Kisei Ram God is enthroned on high. And so in a sense, the holiday is a coronation ceremony of God. 
right? As, as other cultures had coronation ceremonies or yearly acknowledgement of the leader, so too Rosh Hashanah serves that cause. But rather than thinking about this as some moment of pomp and circumstance, I think that this is a perspective shift. It is a reminder that there is a being out there that is watching. There's a, there is a higher standard than what we are applying in the moment, and that we are responsible for that. It, in a sense, and it takes us back to where you started, Rosh Hashanah is a day that kind of lifts our eyes up from where we are now to where we could be. There's an accounting that begins on Rosh Hashanah that's going to come to fruition on Yom Kippur, but our actions matter. And whether or not it makes sense for us to raise our voices, or maybe it makes more sense for us to keep quiet, there's another standard out there that says, if someone is in need, you need to respond. That's your obligation. And so that idea is very much bound in Rosh Hashanah. And so I think part of the greatness of the story is that it did take place on Rosh Hashanah, when all of these ideas are very much evident and the Danish people responded to all of those ideals through their national ethos. And that it remains a very powerful example to all of us. No, I think that's a great way of tying it all together because uh, we're celebrating the creation of the world, but we're celebrating our part in shaping that world too, that it's not done when God created it, that we have to be involved in the way God wants it and the way we want it. Absolutely. So looking to the past sort of paves the way for our future. And God willing, we can learn a lot from this 80th anniversary of the Danes and their heroism. I want to wish you and your family and all of our listeners a Shana Tova Mituka, a very happy, sweet new year. Thanks, Rabbi. Shana Tova.